If you've been around church for any period of time at all, you know that the Bible is filled with commands. And it's filled with commands to do things. Think about the kinds of uh, commands in the Bible to do things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do to them also. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Live in harmony with one another. Associate with the lowly. Admonish the idle. Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Give to those who ask of you. On and on we could go. These commands to do things. The Bible is also filled with commands not to do things. For every command to do something, there's a command not to do something. You shall not make for yourself a carved image. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house or wife or anything that is your neighbor's. Do not grow weary of doing good. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Do not get drunk with wine. Do not lie to one another. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not speak evil against one another. Do not grumble against one another. Do not repay evil for evil, reviling for reviling. Do not love the world and the things that are in the world. We can go on and on and on and on and on. God commands us to do things and not to do things. Now we hear that list of do's and don'ts and that's just a little tiny scratching of the surface of the the times that God tells us to do certain things and not to do other things, we hear this list of do's and don'ts and, and if you're at all um, sensitive or self-conscious, aware of yourself, you hear that list of do's and don'ts and you're overwhelmed. Because which one of us could possibly do all of the things that we should do and not do all of the things we shouldn't do? But it gets worse than that. Because the Bible doesn't just command us to do things or not do things. The Bible also commands us to be things. Think of all the things that the Bible commands us to be. Be kind to one another. Be tender-hearted. Be imitators of God. Be watchful. Be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Be filled with the Spirit. Be strong in the Lord. Be thankful. Be sober. Be content. Be dignified. Be self-controlled, be pure, be submissive, be obedient, be ready for every good work, be gentle, be quick to hear, be slow to speak, be slow to anger, be patient. That's just a few of them. But you go on and on and on. And it also commands us not to be things. Do not be idolaters. Do not be foolish. Do not be anxious about anything. Do not be proud. Do not be deceived. On and on we could go. You see, the Bible doesn't just command us to do and not do certain things. That would be hard enough, wouldn't it? The Bible also commands us to be and not be certain things. Now, doing is one thing, isn't it? If we have enough willpower and enough energy and enough motivation, there's all kinds of things that we can do. But if you think about it, that's no different than any other religion, isn't it? Or is it? Um, a good Muslim who's conscientious about their religion can do a whole lot and not do a whole lot. 
uh, a Buddhist who's conscientious about their religion can do a lot and not do a lot. Even a good atheist can do and not do all kinds of things. But how in the world can we be something? You understand what I'm saying? How in the world can we change what we really are? We can jump through hoops all day, but how can we change what we are? How can we change the essence of our being? That is totally, completely outside of our power. If I'm a hateful man, how can I change myself into a loving man? If I am a greedy man, if in and of myself I am a greedy man, how can I change myself into a generous man? If I'm a wicked man, how can I change myself into a holy man, a godly man? How can I change myself at the level of what I am? Let me tell you how it's not done. We can never change what we are by, by exercising our willpower. Listen to what God says in Jeremiah 13.23. Just listen to these words. God puts it to us like this. He says, Can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? What's the answer to that question? No. Then also, you can do good who are accustomed to evil, he said. He says, okay, if, if an Ethiopian, Ethiopian, if a person with a certain color of skin can change their skin, or if a leopard can change its own spots, if, if that can happen, okay, then you can change yourself at the level of what you are. But that's absurd. It can't happen. We can never change what we are by self-discipline. No amount of self-discipline can actually change what we are on the inside. And we can never change what we are by working from the outside in. Uh, think about this. Think about a tree. You can't change a, a pear tree into an apple tree by tying apples onto the pear tree. It doesn't change the essence of the tree, does it? I mean, the tree next season is going to produce pears, no matter how many apples you tie onto the outside of it. So how can we be what God commands us to be and how can we not be what God commands us not to be? Well, the answer, of course, lies in God. Because obviously, if you and I are ever going to change, not just on the surface level of what we do or what we don't do, if we're going to change on the level of who we are, someone on the outside of us is going to have to do the changing. Someone on the outside of us who is bigger than us and wiser than us and kind and merciful is going to have to do something to us. We're going to have to be acted upon if we're going to change. Of course, that someone is God. And I want for us this morning to look at two verses. Really, what I'm doing this morning is I'm going to try to set the stage for the next two weeks of sermons that I'm going to be preaching and one, one verse that we're going to look at reminds us of God's purpose to change who we are. And the other verse reminds us of God's process for changing who we are. First of all, the, God's purpose for changing who we are. Look at, with me at Romans 8, verse 29. Romans 8, verse 29 tells us that God has a purpose, and the purpose is to change who we are. Look at what it says. For those whom He foreknew... Speaking of God, those whom God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, 
in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. This verse lets us in on the mind and the purposes and the plans of the Lord God Almighty. God has a purpose. His purpose is to transform us into the image of Christ. Now think about what this says. Before the creation of the world, God had a plan and a purpose. And that that purpose had to do with changing sinners like us. That's the point. Before God made the world, before He made the earth and the sea and the animals and everything, before He made Adam and Eve, even before Adam and Eve sinned, fell, disobeyed God, God had this grand purpose, this grand design, this this big plan that He would carry out in, in the history of the world, in what really happens on the earth every day. And that plan was that He would send His perfect, sinless, spotless, righteous, obedient Son, Jesus Christ. He'd send Him into the world to live a perfect life, to always obey God, to always keep the law of God, to always do and not do the things that God commands us to do and not to do, to always be and not be the things that God commands us to be and not to be. He would live this perfect life and then die a death that He didn't deserve to die because He was perfect. To die a death in the place of sinners like you and me. That was the plan. And that plan was to take those for whom His Son died and to radically transform them. To radically change them and renovate them and restore them. And what was the pattern that God had in mind when when He purposed to transform the sinners like us? What was the blueprint? What What was the pattern that He was working to transform us into? Well, this verse tells us, doesn't it? His purpose from before the foundation of the world was to transform us into the image of His perfect, sinless, spotless Son. Those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. To look like Jesus. That is God's purpose. That is what God is up to. That is His design and His plan for every single sinner who embraces Jesus Christ by faith, He has the purpose to change you, to change me. Now think about how wonderful that is. I know most of you have heard this all before, but think about how wonderful it is. Think about how amazing it is. Every one of us in this room struggles with sin. Right? Anyone who doesn't? Every one of us struggles with sin. Each and every one of us has habits, We have lusts, we have desires, we have weaknesses. Sorry, I think that was me. We have uh, sinful inclinations that we feel helpless to change. Alright, are you with me? You understand? Do you have something in mind? And I know that every one of you right now, every single one of you in this room, if you, unless you are completely in, in darkness, and some of you probably are, If you can't think of any sin, if you think you're all right, think you're a pretty nice person, everything's okay, okay, well, that's the thing you need to think of. It means you're in darkness. But those of us in whom the Holy Spirit has worked, one of the things the Holy Spirit does is He shows us our sin. And every one of you right now can think of a sin that you feel absolutely powerless against. And you keep doing it. And you keep failing. 
And you keep trying to stop and trying to turn away and trying to change. But all of your efforts seem empty and pointless and vain and useless. You feel like you're just constantly slamming yourself up against a brick wall and you're not making any progress at all. Maybe some of you have gotten to the point where you're saying, you know, what's the use? I give up. I'm tired of trying. I'm tired of resisting. I'm just going to do whatever comes naturally. I need a break. I can't keep it up. I can't pull it off. Just the heck with it. Now, how do you think I know that about every one of you? There are a couple of ways. Number one, the Bible tells us that's the case. Number two, I know it's true of every one of you because I know it's true of me. And we're all cut out of the same piece of cloth. We're all in the same boat together. This is who we are. We are sinners. Just think of the wonder and the hope and the joy and the encouragement of Romans 8.29. The eternal, omnipotent, almighty, sovereign king of the universe has a purpose For every single sinner who comes to Jesus Christ by faith, those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of the Son. Do you think that you will thwart God's purpose for you? Do you think that your sin is bigger than the the purpose of God? The power of God? God has a purpose for you, and His unstoppable purpose is to transform you into the image of, of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and that purpose will not fail. Be encouraged. Be filled with hope. Throw yourself on the power and the purpose of the Lord God Almighty. If you, if you do not believe this, if you think, yeah, 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 but that's not true of me. In other words, if you say, well, God... Well, there's, there was a verse up there a second ago. If you say, I'm different. What are you saying about God? You're saying, my sin is so big that God can't conquer my sin. If you, if you live in hopelessness, if you live in despair about your sin, you're not being humble. You're being amazingly proud. Because you're saying, my sin's different. God can't deal with my sin. He's met His match in me. And His purposes are thwarted in me. Right? That's not humble. And if you take that stance, you will always be frustrated. You will always be powerless against your sin. Because we receive the power of the Holy Spirit through faith. Faith in these kinds of statements. So be encouraged. God's purposes will not fail. That's the first thing I want for us to see this morning. God has an unstoppable purpose to transform who you are, not just to change what you do. It will ultimately radically affect what you do and what you don't do. But it starts with changing what you are. And that's His purpose. Now, secondly, what is God's process to change who you are? How will this actually happen? What means will God use to transform you into the image of the Son? It's one thing to say, yeah, just there it is. God has His purpose. But how does it happen? I don't know. God tells us how it happens. Look with me at 2 Corinthians 3.18. 2 Corinthians 3.18. Amazing verse because it, it tells us the how. We've seen the what. His purpose is to transform us into the image of His Son. How in the world does that happen? Well, look what, look what it says. 
And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Now, think about what this verse says. Look at it. God is giving us the key to being transformed into the image of His Son. He's telling us how it happens. He's talking about how we can be transformed into the image of Christ. What is the key? What's the, what's the process? What has to happen? He says that we are being transformed into the image of Christ by means of beholding the glory of Christ. Beholding the glory of the Lord. The process by which we're actually transformed into the image of Christ is the process of beholding. Do you see it? The process of seeing. The process of, of meditating on, <clears throat> contemplating the glory of Jesus Christ. The more we contemplate Him, the more we'll be conformed to Him. The more we meditate on Him, the more we will match Him. The more we behold Him, the, the more we'll be like Him. That's the process. You want to be like Jesus Christ? That is God's purpose for you. How is it going to happen? Fundamentally, at the roots of it, it's going to happen as you see Jesus Christ and see what He's really like. And the Holy Spirit works through that and He changes us as we behold the glory of the Lord. And that's what I want for us to do in the next couple of weeks. I want, to, I want for us to behold Jesus Christ. Because beholding is becoming. Seeing His glory changes us. You can't come face to face with the glory of Jesus Christ and walk away from it unchanged. It changes who you are. Now, there's two, two details I want to point out in 2 Corinthians 3.18 that will help us on our way and it's going to encourage us. Two details about this passage. Number one, this transformation is progressive. It it will not happen overnight and it will not happen all at once. Now, let me, let me explain what that means. Um, if you have wrong expectations about the Christian life, if you have wrong expectations about what this is going to happen, how this is going to happen, what it's going to look like, you're going to be let down. If, you, if your expectation is, okay, I get it now. God's purpose is to transform me into the image of Christ and the process that's going to happen when I see the glory of Jesus Christ. So I need to, I need to have some kind of um, big experience. I need to have some kind of spiritual epiphany where I see Him like I've never seen Him before and then, bam, life will be easy from then on out. I'll be changed. I'll be different. I won't argue with my wife. I won't be short with my kids. You know, I won't... Is that the way it works? If that's your expectation, what's going to happen to you? You're going to be let down over and over again. You're going to say eventually, well, this just must not work for me because I thought I had this great experience. I thought I saw the glory of Jesus Christ. And look at me. I'm arguing with my wife again. Must not have worked for me. You see, it's a wrong expectation. It's not an event. It's a process. How does this verse tell us that? Look what it says. We all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. Process. Being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. That's, that's this language that means we're, it's a progressive thing. It's not all at once. It's a process. It's not an event. And if the process is slow, do not be discouraged. The process is slow. Don't be discouraged. It's a process. 
happens from one degree of glory to another. We are being transformed. Now, the Apostle John says the same kind of thing. Listen to this verse. If you have the Bible, look with me. Look at 1 John 3, verse 2. There is a transformation that will be instantaneous and it will be an event. There is an ultimate transformation that is brought about by the exact same means, seeing Jesus Christ as He is, that will be instantaneous and it will be an event. Look what he says in 1 John 3, 2. Beloved, we are God's children now. We already are God's children, people who trust in Jesus Christ alone. We are God's children. That's the already. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, when Jesus Christ appears, we shall be like Him. Why? Because we shall see Him as He is. You see the means of our transformation? We'll be like Him then, ultimately, perfectly, because we will see Him as He is. That is going to be an event where everything that hasn't been done up to that point will be done. And it will be radical and it will be night and day. It will be black and white. We will be perfectly in the image of Jesus Christ, just like Romans 8.29 says. But that's not what this is saying. Paul's saying here in 2 Corinthians 3 that this transformation is not just going to happen that day, way down the road, up in the sky somewhere, when Jesus comes back and you see Him for who He is. Paul is saying that there is also a sense in which the same vision of the glory of Jesus Christ will progressively transform us now. In heaven, when the vision is perfect, our transformation will be perfect. On the earth, right now, when our vision of the glory and the beauty of Jesus Christ is imperfect, it's, 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 it's blurred, it's like looking at a foggy mirror. When the vision is imperfect, the transformation is imperfect. But it's real. There is real transformation. It's not perfect, but it's real and it's progressive. It's a process that happens from one degree of glory to another. Be encouraged. Press on. Be filled with hope. Second, this transformation is not just progressive, it's supernatural. It doesn't depend on you. It doesn't depend on your own natural abilities, your own natural strengths. Look at what it says. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. See it? This comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. This comes from the Holy Spirit. If you're a child of God, if you're a Christian, you, you don't face this task, this process of changing, all by yourself or all on your own strength. It's not as if God lets you in and then says, okay, here's your job, now get to it. This is your work. You have to do this all by yourself. This is what I expect of you. If that was the case, none of us could do it. And this wouldn't be a hopeful thing. This would be a depressing thing. But this isn't a depressing thing. This comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit of the Almighty God in you if you're a Christian. And He is the one who will transform you. He will transform you into the image of Jesus Christ from one degree of glory to another. 
The only way He will do it is as you behold and contemplate and think about and be amazed by the glory and the beauty and the greatness and the majesty and the humility and the love of Jesus Christ. That's how it will happen. It won't happen any other way. You won't be zapped. It won't be automatic. You have to put yourself in the place where you see the glory of Jesus Christ. So here's my question for you. What are you doing with Jesus Christ? God has a purpose to transform you. The purpose, the process that will lead to that purpose is for you to see the glory of Jesus Christ and be transformed into that same image as you see Him. It's not your work. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. What are you doing with Jesus Christ? Are you seeing Him? Now, I'm not talking about seeing Him, obviously, with the eyes of your head. I'm talking about what... what Paul says in Ephesians 1, the eyes of your heart. Are you looking into the Gospels? Are you looking into the, to the, to the accounts of Jesus Christ and seeing His beauty and seeing His glory? Are you looking into the, the Old Testament that speaks all of Him and seeing His glory and seeing His beauty? Are you looking into the, the promises of, of what He is like in His exalted Beauty and glory in, in, the, in the epistles, in the book of Revelation. Are you seeing Him? Are you seeing that the main point of the Bible is Christ? Or are you missing it? Think of this question. What kind of Jesus do you know and think about? Who is the Jesus that you think about? Is He the, the uh, uh, cardboard cutout Jesus? You know, flat, motionless, two-dimensional, stained glass, you know, kind of looks like this or, you know, something like this. Is that your image of Jesus? One who never sweat, never laughed, never wept, never raised his voice, never bled. Do you have a theoretical Jesus? Or do you think about a nice, domesticated, tamed Jesus? You know, uh, the effeminate, long-haired uh, Italian guy that we see in all those pictures. No offense if you're Italian, but you know. Is that your vision of Jesus? Kind of limp-wristed? Kind of passively? Uh, timidly, you know, the one picture is he's knocking at the door with a little timid kind of furtive. Oh, I hope someone opens the door because I can't open it myself. Is that your Jesus? One who would never insist on having his own way with you. One who ultimately just wants us all to get along and be happy. Or do you think about a cold, distant, harsh, indifferent Jesus. One who could never sympathize with your sin. One who is too busy with important things to concern himself with you. One who is, is basically ticked off with you all the time because you're a sinner after all. Is that your vision of Jesus? The only Jesus that will transform you by looking at Him is the real one. The real Jesus. And all of those aren't it. If you're a Christian, ask yourself this question. Am I 
anything at all like the Jesus I see in the Bible. The Jesus I really see in the Bible. Am I anything at all like Him? Am I tender with sinners or am I harsh with them? Am I sympathetic to those who suffer or do I just blow them off and I couldn't care less? When people sin against me, do I bear it with joy and with patience and with hope or do I plot my sweet revenge? When, when the truth of God is belittled, do I stand? Do I stand with a complete disregard for my own safety and my own reputation or do I wither into the background? Do you look at all like Jesus Christ, the real one? Could it be that we have indeed been transformed to the image of Jesus, the, the image of the Jesus that we think about in our heads, but it's the wrong Jesus? We will be like whatever we worship. So what are, what are you like? What do you worship? Let's pray together. And I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to come and to work among us in these next couple of weeks and to show us the beauty and the glory and the, and the, the real Jesus so that we can be transformed by Him. Let's pray together.